as the, the kids are heading out, I want to remind you that next Sunday is a fifth Sunday, and so around here that means that we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a church family, and we're also going to celebrate baptisms. God has been doing some incredible things around our church this summer and the lives of our kids and our students and, and all over the church, and so we've got many who have come to say that they are wanting to take their next step of obedience and baptism, and so we're going to celebrate that next week along with taking communion together, so I hope that you will be here for that. Uh, I'm guessing that most of us in this room have been a guest at some point in our lives. We've been invited to a party or a wedding or maybe just over to someone's house for dinner, and I'm hoping that uh, all of us have had the experience of being a welcomed guest or an honored guest. You know, we do things as a host to make our guests feel special, to make them feel welcomed. You know, we'll, at, at the minimum, we'll clean up our house a little bit, right? We'll uh, maybe introduce them to people who are there, or uh, maybe we'll bring out the fine china or use the formal dining area if you've got something like that. Maybe you'll decorate in a way that will honor your guest. Then on the flip side of that, I'm guessing some of us in this room have had the experience of maybe not being so welcomed as a guest. Whether it's intentional by the host or not, it's not a great feeling to be unwanted or unseen. But in my days as a worship band, or in a, in a worship band, we traveled a lot. And we got really used to being guests at different uh, churches or camps and a lot of times in people's homes as they hosted us for a night or two. And the overwhelming majority of these experiences were fantastic. People were very kind to us. They welcomed us in. They fed us. They gave us a place to sleep. And as Brett talked about last week, God provides for us in ways that we don't expect. We got to see that firsthand in many of these interactions as people cared for us. And there's one couple that I remember that hosted Mandy and I and our daughter Ramona when she was little. And after we left, they found that she had left a, a pair of her shoes in one of their closets. Um, and so they found our address and they mailed us her shoes with a $100 bill placed in each of the shoes. So if you had asked me at the beginning of the month how we were going to be able to pay our bills that month, there's no way that I would have told you that we were expecting some shoe money to come in in the next couple of weeks, but that's how God chose to provide for us, and we got to see how creative our God can be in the ways that he provides. But there's, there is one time that I remember that we did not feel uh, quite so welcomed. We actually won a, a contest to be able to, uh, to open up on the main stage of a big Christian music festival up in Illinois. And so we were super excited to be able to play in front of thousands of people and open up for some of the big name Christian bands at the time. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to make sure we were prepared, so we got a bunch of extra T-shirts and CDs to hopefully, you know, sell some stuff, make some money. Maybe we'd be famous, I don't know. Uh, but we, we did that, and we loaded up our trailer, and we headed from Texas to Illinois. And we spent the whole day before the festival started uh, 
practicing and perfecting everything so that it would be just right when we were up in front of all those people. And the, the day came for the festival to begin, and we drive our stuff up to the main stage, and we tell the security there that, you know, who we are, and they look pretty confused, uh, but they let us backstage, and we go and we find somebody who looks like they're in charge of everything happening, and we say, you know, we're, we're the band that won this contest, and we're so thankful to be here and excited. Is there anywhere you'd like for us to put our stuff? And he also looks confused. And he goes off and talks to some other people and then makes his way back to us. And he awkwardly kind of leads us over to one of the trailers that's behind the main stage. He looks around in there for a minute and then walks over to this door and it's got a paper sign on it that says first aid. He rips that down and opens the door and says, here's your green room. Obviously, they weren't expecting us to show up. And what's worse is that now there was no first aid for anybody, so all of us were in trouble. <laughs> but we didn't let that deter us. We were still excited to get to play on this massive stage in front of a whole bunch of people. And so the time came for us to set up, and so we got ready and got all of our stuff on the stage. And they tell us that it's time to go, and so we look out, and there is no one there. It's a wide open field. There's some tents off in the distance where people have been camping, and there's a couple of people hanging out around the front of the stage just seeking shelter from the sun. But we were disappointed, but we tried to make the most of it, and so we enjoyed being on the big stage, and Kevin, our keyboardist, ran out on the big catwalk that they had that led out into the emptiness of the field. <laughs> we, we tried to enjoy it, and then, then like they wanted to pour some salt in our wound. We, we got off the stage, cleared our stuff off, and an MC comes out, and they start to welcome everybody. Let's draw everybody in. Let's gather around. And we really want to get things started today, and we always like to open up with a word of prayer. So... He starts to do that, and it was like we didn't even exist. We thought we were winners and invited guests, but we were unseen and unwanted. And today, as we open up God's Word, we're going to take a look at an unwanted guest from the Gospel of Luke, as we continue in our series, At the Table. And Jesus finds himself at the table with a couple of contrasting characters, and so we're going to take a look at how Jesus responds to those people. But before we jump in, I want to just take a minute to pray. God, we are desperate to hear from you this morning. We, we look to your word for wisdom. We look to your word to discover more about who you are. We want to hear your voice, so I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And God, I pray that that you would increase and I would decrease for your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text that we're going to be looking at today is in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, and you can go ahead and turn there. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And Luke is one of the four Gospels, which are the four books of the Bible that tell us about the life of Jesus. And at this point in the story, Jesus is uh, toward the beginning of his ministry. He is 
becoming a well-known teacher and a prophet. And he's beginning to attract the crowds. And as he teaches, people are starting to gather. And he's starting to attract the attention of the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day. And in fact, in this story, he's been invited over to one particular Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. And so we are picking up the story there in verse 36. And it says that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered, say it, teacher. Jesus said, a certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, aside from Jesus, there are two main characters in this story, and they really couldn't be more different. You have Simon the Pharisee, who is the religious leader, and then we have the sinful woman. And so I want to take a look at this story from the perspective of each of these people and see how Jesus responds to them and see what we can learn about Jesus' character. So first we'll take a look at Simon the Pharisee. The story starts out with Jesus being invited to Simon's house. Now, we, we don't know why Simon has invited Jesus. Maybe Jesus is a great teacher, and so Simon has invited Jesus over to learn something from him. Maybe uh, Jesus is becoming popular in the area, and so Simon wants to invite Jesus over to his house to impress his friends. Or maybe the Pharisees don't really like what Jesus is teaching, and so Simon has invited him over to, to trap him or to trick him or to expose him as a fraud. We don't, we don't really know, but we do get some clues a little bit later on as to what's really going on in 
Simon's heart and maybe points a little bit more to his motive. And Simon is throwing this party at his house and he's likely invited some important people over along with Jesus to eat at his table. And when it says that they were reclining at table, it doesn't mean that they were laying back in their chairs with their feet up. In their culture at the time, the table would have been low to the ground and they would actually eat laying down, kind of rested up on, on one hand with the other one free to eat. It's kind of like a, if you picture like a bicycle wheel with a table in the middle and the people are kind of like the spokes coming out from the wheel with their, their feet around the outer edge. And this would help them to hear each other during their conversations and it would keep their dirty feet away from the food. And as they're eating and talking, the party gets interrupted by someone. Someone who was not invited, was not wanted. A woman who's described here as a woman of the city who was a sinner. This is her identity. It is how she's known by the people of the town and how she's known by all the people at this party. And Simon watches as she intrudes into his house and interrupts the conversation happening at his table. And he watches as she begins to kneel down and wash Jesus' feet. And she kisses his feet and she anoints them with the ointment that she brought. And Simon watches this act of kindness and humility and all he can think is, I can't believe she came here. Does Jesus know who this is? Does he know what she's done? Does he really know her? This person that he's allowing to touch him, does he really know who this is? Of course he does. Jesus is actually the only person in the room who knows everything that she's done and knows exactly who she is. And as Simon is saying these things to himself, Jesus answers him. Just like Jesus knows exactly who the woman is, he knows exactly who Simon is too. And Jesus knows what to say to bring the true condition of Simon's heart into the light. And he starts with a parable. That's just a story that he uses to illustrate a lesson. And he talks about two men that owed money. One owed about 50 days wages, the other about 500. To, to us, that'd be roughly the difference between someone owing $10,000 and $100,000. And neither man could pay, but the money lender has mercy on them and cancels the debt completely for both men. And after telling the story, Jesus asked Simon which of the men would love him more. And it's kind of like Simon knows where Jesus is going with this. And he kind of reluctantly answers, well, I suppose it's the one who he canceled the larger debt for. Jesus always has these guys who question him in this position of really knowing the answer he's looking for, but they don't like it. It's because Jesus sees through our mask. He sees through the facade. He sees through to the true heart of the person. You can't hide from Jesus. And after the parable, Jesus begins to point out all the things that Simon as his host should have done to welcome him in. Washing his feet, a kiss on the cheek, some ointment for his head. These would have been 
things that were expected in their culture at the time. They helped to, your guests to feel honored, but also helped them to feel clean and refreshed as they entered into your home. So maybe we're starting to see some of those clues as to what Simon's true motive might have been. Maybe he was wanting to intentionally dishonor Jesus to put him in his place, but the, the woman, the sinner, wouldn't allow that to happen. She took care of all those customary things that a host should do for their guests in order to honor and elevate Jesus to his rightful place. And as for Simon the Pharisee, he totally missed what was happening right in front of him. There was this beautiful display of redemption happening right at his table in front of him, and he was too selfish and prideful to see it. Simon the Pharisee reminds me of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. If you remember the younger son, he makes a whole lot of bad choices, squanders all the money that he was given by his father, eventually repents and comes home. The father sees him, goes to him, forgives him, celebrates and throws this huge party. The older son watches all of this happen and he's furious. He never ran away. He never squandered all the money. He never made all the bad choices and brought shame on his family. Where's his celebration? Where's his party? And the father comes out to his son and lovingly says, Son, why don't you come into the party? Don't you see what's happened here? Come into the party. We thought your brother was dead and gone, but he's here with us now. He's come back. This is something to celebrate. Come into the party. And it's the same thing that Jesus is trying to show Simon. This woman was more than her past mistakes. She had more value than what people thought of her. In fact, she's the only one in the room who actually saw Jesus for who he truly was. She went to him for forgiveness and redemption. Simon is trying to Jesus is trying to show Simon, don't you see what's happening right in front of you? This is something to celebrate, not ridicule. Won't you come into the party? The story ends as Jesus tells the woman that her sins are forgiven, to go in peace. But we're left to wonder about Simon the Pharisee and how he responded to this interaction. And I think the open-endedness of this story gives us an opportunity to look at ourselves, to see how we look at people. Do we look down on those who aren't as righteous as us, who don't go to church or who don't sin in the same way that we sin? Or do we look at people the way that Jesus looked at them? So now I want to rewind We'll go back to the beginning and look at the story from the perspective of the woman. Now, we don't get a whole lot of background information on this woman, but I think it's pretty safe to say that she has made some poor choices in her life. And somehow those poor choices have become public enough that everyone in her community thinks of her as a sinner, as a bad person, as someone that you want to avoid and not be associated with. This is who she is and 
In their eyes, it's who she will always be. We also know that this woman has heard of Jesus. We don't know if she's actually seen him in person or if she's just heard the stories as people in the town talk. And whether it was his miracles or his healings or the things that he taught, whatever this woman heard about Jesus, she knew that she needed to be near him. She believed there was something different about Jesus and she needed to be near him. But not only that, she knew that Jesus was worthy of worship. You see, she came prepared to worship him. She knew what she was coming to do. It says that when she learned that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house, she went and got her alabaster flask of ointment. And the next thing we know, she's standing at the feet of Jesus. In this room full of people that she knew were going to judge her and look down on her. But she didn't care. She came to worship Jesus. And who knows the the stares and the name-calling that she must have endured as she made her way through the town and into the Pharisee's house, but she didn't care. She was there to worship Jesus. And as she stands before him, her eyes start to fill with tears. And we don't know if it's because of the things that people said to her or maybe it's brokenness over her own sin. Maybe it's just out of joy of being in the presence of Jesus. I don't know, maybe all of them at once. But she begins to weep, and then she kneels down at Jesus' feet. And her tears wet his feet, and she begins to wipe away the tears and the dirt from his feet with her hair. And she kisses his feet, and she brings out this precious commodity that she had brought, and she anoints Jesus' feet with the ointment. This was an incredibly... uh, an incredible act of humility and worship from this woman. She came to the house fully aware of her sin and her reputation, and she was willing to be humiliated and lowered in the eyes of the people there in order to express her worship to Jesus. She didn't care what they might say or what they might do to her because she knew that she needed to worship him. In whatever way that she could, she understood the weight of her sin. And when she found herself in the presence of her Savior, her response was lavish gratitude and great devotion. When we we have a diminished view of our own sin, then we get a diluted view of our need for God. I'll say it again. When we have a diminished view of our own sin, then we get a deluded view of our own need for God. And that, that changes our response to God or our love for God. It, it becomes diminished as well. When we see ourselves as pretty good people or our sin is not that bad, then our need for a Savior is not that great. But when we start to see our sin for what it truly is, the wickedness that is actually in us, then we'll start to understand how desperately we need God, how fully dependent we are on Him. And at at that point, our only response is lavish gratitude and great devotion. And this is the same point that Jesus is trying to make to Simon with the parable that he shares. 
And after he tells the parable and Simon reluctantly answers his question, Jesus does something incredible. He continues to talk to Simon, but he turns his attention to the woman. And he says, Simon, do you, do you see this woman? Do you, do you see her the way that I see her? Do you see the things that she's, that she's done here? Do you see the beauty, the humility, the kindness? I, I don't think you see it. I think you're too concerned with your own position, your own power. You're too concerned with, with yourself to see beyond to the other people. And while you've neglected to offer me the most basic of kindness for a guest in your home, she has gone above and beyond to offer this act of love and worship. And then in verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. There are a couple of things that I want to point out in this verse because I think there's a wrong way that you could read it. Verse 47 is not saying that her sins are given because she loved much. It's not because of her actions here in Simon's house that Jesus now decides that she deserves forgiveness. He makes it very clear in verse 50, it's her faith that has saved her. Her actions here are not an attempt to earn forgiveness. They're a result of realizing who Jesus is. And in the second part of verse 47, Jesus says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. I don't think that Jesus is saying that he forgives some people a lot and some people a little. He has forgiven all of our sin. When we place our faith in him, he forgives it all. I think what he's referring to here is Simon's perception that he has done little wrong and so really he only requires a little forgiveness. You see, we like to compare our sins to those of others that will make ourselves feel better about the way that we sin. But the reality is that all of us before a holy God are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We all need an intervention, and that's exactly what Jesus provides. Jesus is like the money lender in the parable who has come to collect our debts. And whether we think that our debts are many or few, none of us are able to pay our debt. And the Bible tells us that the penalty for not being able to pay our debt is death or eternal separation from God. But there's good news. Just like in the parable when the moneylender forgave the debt and canceled the debt for both men, Jesus came to cancel our debt with his death on the cross. And just as he looked at the woman, the sinner, and gave her a new identity, he wants to look at each of us and say, that's not who you are anymore. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And some of you may feel like this woman with an identity wrapped up in the things that you have done in your past or maybe the things that you're walking through right now. And you expect Jesus to be like Simon the Pharisee thinking that if he only knew what I've done, if he only knew who I really was, then he wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. But again, I have good news. Jesus knows 
who you truly are. He knows exactly what you've done, and that's actually why he came. The things that you are trying to hide from him, he already knows it, and that's why he came. He knows who you are. He knows who you truly are, and he loves you. And so in this series, we are looking at these different meals with Jesus in the book of Luke, and we're wanting to discover more about who Jesus is and what he provides for us, and then what our response should be today. And in these verses, there are two things that I want to point out to you that Jesus provides. And the first one is that Jesus provides clarity. Jesus provides clarity. Jesus is the truth. He sees things exactly as they are. Really more than that, he sees people as they truly are. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so if you're the person trying to wear the mask or put on the show so that we can all see how good or important or successful you are, Jesus sees right through it. You can't hide from Jesus. So don't let this puffed up version or view of yourself keep you from seeing the true value in others who look or act or sin differently than you do. None of us are good enough. We all need Jesus. And if we'll let him, he'll actually help to open our eyes to the places where we have blind spots. And if you're the person stuck in your past or stuck in a pattern of sin, Jesus sees you and he's here to offer you a way out. He knows your struggles and your hurts. And just like he truly saw the woman in this story, he truly sees you. And he wants to offer you his hand. He wants to offer a way out. And that leads us to the next thing that Jesus provides, and that is that he provides our identity. See, because Jesus created us, he knows us, and he's the only one qualified to give us our identity. And so whether you feel like you're the prideful Pharisee or like the sinful woman or anywhere in between, Jesus has come to offer you a new identity, one that says that you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you're accepted, you're free, you're a conqueror, you're a daughter, you're a son. You don't have to be stuck, you don't have to be who other people think you are. Jesus tells you who you truly are. So now it's time for us to respond to God's word. I'd like to invite any pastors and elders in the room up to the front. And if, if you're in this room and you've never put your faith in Jesus before, today can be your day for a new identity. I don't want to invite you into religion or spirituality. I want to invite you into a relationship with the God who loves you beyond any love that you've ever known. I want to invite you into a relationship with the God who is powerful enough to speak the world into existence, but is intimate enough to know you better than you know yourself. And so if that's you, there are men and women up here, and in just a moment, I invite you to come. They'd love to to talk with you, to pray with you, to answer any questions that you may have.
And for the followers of Jesus in this room, which person will your response be like? See, we're on this side of the cross, and so we know who Jesus is, and we know what he's done. But too often, our response to the complete canceling of our debt is like Simon the Pharisee thinking that my debt really isn't that much. But will we be like the woman and see the enormity? Will we be willing to humble ourselves and respond to Jesus with lavish gratitude and great devotion? Let's pray.